Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me. It's, uh, you know, I say this every time um, because it's true. It's just such an incredible, just a pleasure and a joy and a homecoming for us to be here with all of you. We've just received so much support and love from you uh, over the years. And so uh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's, it'll be 10 years in December since we left and went back to Spokane to plant Center Church. And I just want to remind all of you, um, this church has played a pivotal role in the success of Center Church and, and um, some of the lives that have been reached there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a promise off the cuff. This is a terrible idea. I'm going to do my best before next time I come, assuming the Pastor Dustin invites me back again, uh, to just document some of the testimonies of things that have happened at Center Church over the years so that you can see that for yourself. I just want to extend a thank you uh, for the opportunity to be here and for your investment in our church. The big goings-on in our household since the last time I saw you Last time we were here was uh, maybe late last winter. Um, our oldest son is now officially engaged, Micah. And uh, so, yeah, so I feel like I turned a corner in life. I'm significantly older than I was last time I saw you. Uh, but we're excited about that. Uh, that's, that's kind of the big thing that's going on. I want to get right to uh, some of the, the text today, though. One of the things that I always find really odd and curious as I read through the New Testament the story, the life of Jesus is, I find it really strange that a lot of the church folks had no idea who he was. Like, he's doing all these amazing things, and they just totally missed it. Like, does that seem strange? Jesus comes, and a guy named John the Baptist, who, all, who the masses were flocking to to be baptized as he was uh, a prophet out in the wilderness. They're going out to see him. He points to Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God. And the masses got it, but the church folks, they had no idea. They didn't believe it. And then Jesus is like healing people, casting out demons, and they, hadn't, they just totally missed it. To me, I just am like, that should have set off their Messiah radar because they're looking for the Messiah. And here he comes. He does all these incredible things. And John the Baptist literally says, there's the Messiah, and they totally, completely miss it. Now, I don't think they missed it because they were inept. I think they missed it because they were looking for something else. They, they were distracted. They were expecting. They had expectations of what God would do, expectations of what the Messiah would be. And then when he showed up as something else, they totally missed it, even though it looks really obvious to us. Now, we all know how this can happen because we all buy things on the Internet. Um, I am a, I'm a cross-country parent. We were here in town, actually over in Tacoma yesterday, uh, because our son Ezra had a cross-country meet there. Uh, it was a, kind of a Northwest regional thing. And so it worked out great. Pastor Dustin called me a couple weeks ago and asked if I could be here. And I said, you know what? It just so happens that I'm going to be in the neighborhood. And cross-country cross parents, does anybody have a kid who is or was a cross-country runner? Do we have any of those? Okay. Um, so maybe you've seen on TV like the Tour de France or maybe in the Olympics you see people running these races and uh, people line up the course and they ring cowbells. Have you, you seen that before? Different kinds of noisemakers. And so I decided um, I, I wanted to find a unique noisemaker. So I went online and I ordered one of these. This is a siren whistle, what they call a siren whistle. <whistles> Sounds like that. Recognize that? I just remember them from when I was a kid. I didn't even know what they were called, but I was just, I just, I was like, I have to find one of those noisemakers so that I can blow it 
on the course, and much to my pleasant surprise, it turns out you could buy a pack of 12 of these for $3.99. I was expecting it to be so much more expensive. So that was like a pleasant expectation that was not met, right? And so four bucks, a pack of 12 of these show up, and I waited with anticipation. And of course, if you buy 12 of anything for $4, you should have low expectations I was excited about having 12 of these to pass out to all of the other parents on, of the cross-country team. And when they got there, six of them, literally half of them were broken already. But no big deal, because I still got six of them for four bucks. What a great deal. So I pulled one out that looked intact, and I blew into it, and it immediately, the entire mechanism on the inside that makes the sound just fell out onto the floor. So now I'm down to five. There were a few of them that were totally seized up in there, so I think grand total there were four of them that worked. I should have known you can't buy 12 of anything online for only four bucks. My expectations were totally, totally unreasonable. This happens pretty often. It's pretty normal for us to have odd or uh, misaligned expectations. We know what it's like to have unmet expectations. Donald, I'm going to hop around on there. Can you just throw the next slide up for me right there? Um, you recognize some of these faces right here. Uh, Sometimes we go through life and we have, uh, uh, we have expectations. Like if I'm out in public and I see these people, I'm excited to get my picture taken with LeBron. May, uh, maybe the other two. Actually, I, uh, probably not either of them. Uh, but if you remember this picture, this is probably six or seven years ago. LeBron got lit up on the internet because he is, uh, he is breaking a very old and important social rule right here. Uh, he obviously doesn't know. His expectation is he's going to get a picture taken with the royal family. But it turns out you're not supposed to touch the royal family. And apparently everyone who doesn't live in America knows this. And, uh, and LeBron just got, just got lit up on social media because he was sort of stepping outside of the expectations or the values of the world. The world that we live in, it likes to set aside things that are special and separate things that are common. He obviously didn't, didn't know that. The world that we live in has a totally different set of expectations. Sometimes I wonder, what if I'm doing the same thing? Like, what if I'm just going through life and I expect what I expect and I do what I do because it's my normal, but then there's something totally different that God is doing that I just, I'm just not even seeing? What if I'm like LeBron and I just, like, I don't even know what's actually going on. I'm just I'm just doing what I do. Well, Jesus came along, and he, did, he was something totally different than what they were expecting. They were looking for a political hero. They were looking for somebody to come along, throw out the Romans, restore Israel back to prominence, and he comes along declaring an upside-down kingdom where the humble are exalted, where the poor are rich, and where the last are first, completely separate from what we were expecting, where the common is exalted, where, where the least become the greatest, Jesus comes along declaring a kingdom that doesn't line up with the values of this world. So we're going to go through a text in Matthew chapter 18, and here's what I hope you'll, hope you'll see. Uh, I think I put this on the next slide, Donald, we'll, we'll see. Uh, what I hope you'll see today is that God has been irrationally generous with you. Like, beyond what is reasonable, like, we have expectations or hopes that God will be kind to us, and if our hope is right here, his actual generosity with us 
is like right here. He's been irrationally beyond generous with us. God looks at you with generous eyes. He has a generous heart and spirit for you. His intent is to give you more grace, more blessing, more joy, more gratitude than you might even think is possible. He has a generous spirit towards you. His kingdom, it's not reserved for perfect people. It's not reserved for the people who just get it right every time. God is generous with you, and I hope that through it, uh, you'll, you'll actually be more generous with yourself. That's what, I, that's what I'm hoping. So Jesus, uh, he often spoke in these illustrative stories, we call them parables, uh, to illustrate a point. So in Luke, I'm sorry, I just told you Matthew 18. Luke 18, verse 1, if you have a device or a Bible with you, you can read along there. Um, I know that many of you do have the Bible app on your phone because I'm friends with you on the Bible app, so don't, don't try to get past me on that. Okay, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, it'll be on the screen if you, if you don't have one handy. We know it as the parable of the persistent widow. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I like Luke's style because he doesn't even make us work for it. He just tells us the point of the story right up front. Always pray, not, never give up. Jesus said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Some translations uh, translate that phrase, attack me, to uh, wear me down. You know, it's like, you know, when someone's just annoying you and you say, oh, you're killing me. It's kind of like that kind of attacking, so that she doesn't just totally wear me out. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, God will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, so the broader illustration is here you have this judge who doesn't really care about what's right. He doesn't care about the person. He only cares about himself. And yet, he will give this widow what she's looking for. Certainly, if this judge who doesn't care about anything but himself will answer, certainly your heavenly Father who loves you more than anything, will respond to you. That's sort of the broader, broader point. But we have this illustration of kind of a common scene. Okay, Jesus is painting this picture of sort of a, a courtroom-type setting, right? It's the subject matter of many uh, TV dramas, a lot of movies. Has anybody watched a courtroom, courtroom drama recently? There's a bunch of them out there. Uh, you have a few kind of common characteristics, right? If you watch a modern courtroom drama, one of the first things you'll find out is that everyone, apparently, who works in an attorney's office is a model. Apparently, they're all beautiful. Uh, I happen to know some attorneys, and I can assure you that's not true in real life. Nonetheless, it makes for good TV, apparently. Uh, they all wear designer clothes every day. They have like an unlimited clothing budget. Uh, there's usually some genius paralegal, like, hidden in a back room somewhere who uncovers the outlandish plot twist and solves the case in favor of the victim. 
That seems to be, isn't it? am I close? Like, that's kind of how most of them go down. Uh, it's very dramatic. We have really high expectations of what it takes to keep us engaged and interested in a courtroom drama. But Jesus' story is actually kind of a boring story, isn't it? This widow comes to the judge, and in English, it just translates into six words. She says, give me justice against my adversary. There's no genius paralegal necessary for this. It's actually kind of a boring story. It would make a terrible Netflix special. All of us would cancel our subscription. But in Jesus' story, just, just notice that, that this widow, a, a simple, ordinary person, comes with a very short, authentic, humble prayer, help me. And Jesus is saying, this is how you should approach God. You don't have to put on a performance. You don't have to look perfect. You don't have to speak with eloquence. The widow comes and says, help me. In our world, we want people to be impressive. Jesus wants you to be authentic. This is a challenging thing for us. Um, you would think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Like, I, I know God. I have a relationship with Jesus. Of course I'm authentic with him. Okay, let's put that to the test. Uh, you ever pray in public in like a circle of other Christians? Have you done this before? It's not weird. Like, I think it's great when, when uh, Christian brothers and sisters, maybe your church family or even in your home, when you pray together, it, it's, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Um, okay, so you're going around the circle, and the whole time you're thinking, okay, how am I going to get this off the ground? What am I going to say? And, you know, it sounds like everyone before you is like a seminary graduate, and then the person next to you squeezes your hand. Right? That's, that's the code for, okay, the pressure is yours now. And, and you're, you're trying to make sure you get, get it off the ground right and you say the right thing. And, and it kind of makes me think, this is what it's like to be an Olympic skater. Like, everyone's staring at me. Everyone's judging me. At the end, they're all going to hold up their numbers to say how I did. But Jesus is saying, no, come like this widow. Help me. Come with your simple, honest prayer. The point of Jesus' illustration is that God wants to hear from you. Now, sometimes I think, I wouldn't want to hear from me. But God wants to hear from you. And by the way, he wants to hear from the real you. You might be 10 years old, 12 years old. You might be a teenager and you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he wants to hear from my parents. Well, he does want to hear from your parents, but he wants to hear from you. You might think, yeah, my problems are too small. It's easy to feel small. You might think my lot in life is kind of insignificant. You know, I'm just me. God wants to hear from you the real you. And he says, come just like this widow. And just in case you're wondering how he feels about you, Jesus makes this point. Look what, look what God calls those who come to, them, come to him. He calls them his chosen ones. You're his chosen one. How about that? Do you think of yourself that way? God is so irrationally generous with you in this way that he, the king of the universe, he wants you to come to him as you are, just as you are. He won't put you off. He won't ignore you. You don't have to impress God. You just be, have to be authentic with God. That's really good news, uh, for me anyway. Next verse, let's go, to, let's go to verse 10. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This parable kind of cracks me up. This is actually kind of a funny scene. So just imagine if I got up here, I'm, I'm a pastor, and um, some people don't know this, but pastors are people. Some people think they're just, you know, like really holy and special, and we're just people, except for Pastor Dustin. Like, he actually is holy and special, but the rest of us, we're, we're just normal. So, um, so just imagine, I stood up here in the, as the pastor, and I said, God, I just thank you that I'm a good person. I don't... I don't do horrible things. I, I love my family, and, uh, and we give to the church, and I pray, and I read my Bible, and I, I go to church on a regular basis. And most of all, Lord, I just thank you that I'm not like Jeff, because that's just what happened in this parable. Like, could you just imagine him just praying, God, I most of all just thank you that I'm not like that guy. How awful is that? Like, how self-righteous do you have to be to pray a prayer like that? Uh, I just kind of wonder, is that actually in there somewhere? Like, I'm laughing about the parable, but, but do I maybe actually kind of have that type of self-righteousness in some way? Here's what's interesting about the parable. Jesus said only one of those guys went home justified before God, and it wasn't the one that did everything right. It wasn't the one with the eloquent speech. It wasn't the one who made a point about all of the good things that he does. It was the one who was humble, the one who was authentic and repentant. In our world, we love to look good. We love to make sure everybody knows about the things that we're doing right. We love to get our picture taken with the royals. But God values authenticity. It says that this tax collector, now keep in mind what a tax collector is in their day. He's the guy who comes to your house, takes money from you to fund the army that is occupying your community. Jesus says, this is the guy who went home justified before God. In our world, we like to look good. God loves authenticity. Years ago, this is such a great lesson, um, just such a cool story. I, I just, I love this. Um, years ago when I was a youth pastor, not, not here, at, a, at another church in Yakima, Washington, um, it, was, it was just a really, it was like the best of times and the worst of times. Our youth ministry, for, you know, just the sovereignty of God in spite of me, our youth ministry just started to grow really rapidly. And, uh, and it was great. We, for whatever reason, like I, I'm, like, I grew up in the suburbs. I can own that. Um, and I, I'm just so blessed in my life. But for whatever reason, we started to really attract a lot of kids who grew up in really tough environments. And praise God, he just, however he did, he just gave me the grace to connect with them and love on them. And, and uh, and most of them were from broken homes. And so they started coming. We, we met on Wednesday nights, our youth church. And eventually, like, they started spilling over to Sunday morning. They started coming out, like, in mass, like, in pretty, pretty large numbers. And the culture of this particular church that I was at was not casual. Uh, it, was, it was fairly formal. Uh, it's not good or bad. That was just the culture of the church. Most of, most of the adults in the room definitely had, like, Sunday best to come to church. They got dressed up. And, and I would say that as these students started coming, what they would do is um, they started just kind of taking over like this front and center section. And what was funny is, you know, if there's like 10 chairs right here, there would be about 20 kids sitting in those 10 chairs. And uh, they started taking over the section front and center. 
And the adult congregation was probably like 50-50 on this. About half of them, they didn't care what the students looked like. They didn't, they didn't care. They were just glad they were there. They just wanted to support them and love on them. And I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for those people uh, because they were such a lifeline for me and for those kids. But then there was another half. Thank you, Jesus, for them too. Uh, and so I just wanted, there was this one particular person. Uh, let's call him Craig, not his real name. Uh, his name was Craig. And Craig would uh, sit kind of over in this area, uh, arms crossed, like burning holes in the back of the students' heads. You know, he was just really put off by the fact that they didn't understand the culture, like jeans, T-shirts, hats, backwards hats sometimes even, and, uh, you know, really offensive stuff like that. Um, and, and he was just so put off. Like, he was just waiting for it to end so that he could find me and complain about it, okay? That was, that was, that was a weekly dynamic. And uh, so, so that was going on, and it just got weird. I wouldn't say it got contentious. I would say it just got strange. One kid even went out and found a T-shirt that said, these are my church clothes. <laughs> that was pretty clever. It's pretty, pretty funny stuff. So they were just misfits in this environment is the point that I'm making, okay? But there was one guy named Tom. Tom was probably 50-ish at the time, and uh, his, his Sunday clothes were some variation of the same outfit. Uh, freshly shined penny loafers, uh, pleated khakis with the cuff at the bottom, and a neatly pressed dress shirt tucked in. Uh, if you wanted to dress it down a little bit, it would be a neatly pressed polo shirt, but that was rare. And uh, Tom was just dressed really well. He had a very nice Sunday best, and he sang on the worship team. Uh, he was like the polar opposite of these students. But every week, for about 20, 30 minutes before the surface, Tom was right here. And he would hug and high-five every single kid. He knew every kid's name. He knew their story. He knew where they went to school. And he made sure that he gave every one of them a moment of attention every week. Now, Tom probably noticed their church clothes, but it was not a barrier for him. What was really interesting to me is I don't think they noticed Tom's church clothes. What they noticed was this, and I quote, a teenage girl named Victoria who had uh, a lip ring and emo hair across her face because it was the 2000s. This is what she said about Tom. Tom loves us. That's what she knew about Tom, and there have been very few times in my life when I thought, that's exactly what Jesus would do right now. Tom was such a good example to me in that area. And I think it sets the example that, you know, we, we like appearances, but Tom just wanted to be authentically generous with these students, and it had a profound, profound impact. Now, the story shows us, I just share kind of my own real-life parable with you to say that God doesn't care about appearances. There's nothing you could do to impress God. In fact, Romans 2.11 says, God shows no favoritism. God shows no favoritism. Now, uh, as a pastor, I have done years of in-depth research and study to help you fully understand and appreciate this verse. You know what it actually means? God shows no favoritism. That's what it means. God shows no favoritism. He wants all of us as we are. No show, no pretense. His will is that you would come to him as you are. So two parables, right? Two parables that illustrate essentially the same, uh, the same point. God's not impressed with the exterior. 
He wants you as you are. But then Luke tells us kind of what's happening in the background while Jesus is teaching these parables. So let's just catch these last few verses, 15 through 17. Uh, it says, as Jesus is telling these stories, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, that last sentence should, defi should definitely be some food for thought. should definitely give us something to, to think about. But here we have these two parables. Jesus tells these stories that illustrate the fact that God is not concerned about you putting on a show for him. He's not concerned about that. You don't have to put on a show because he's, he's not stingy with his acceptance. He's generous with it. He's open-handed with it. So, so you don't have to worry about the show. And then we see this interaction where Jesus embraces these little children. And it's interesting because culturally, children were just not valued at their time. And even in some ways in our culture, we don't value them in the same way because in our culture, we like the finished product. It's why as parents, sometimes, maybe you never do this, but I'll admit that I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I spend a lot of effort just like driving them to grow up and achieve. We like the finished product. We like things tied up neatly and wrapped up in a bow, in a bow but God is on the journey. He embraces the journey. You, you don't have to be neatly polished and finished up for God to embrace you. He wants you where and how you are. Is there anyone who is not a finished product? Anybody here? You're still, you're still a work in progress? Okay. That's a good percentage. And even if you didn't raise your hand, I know that you're, I know that you're with us, okay? Perhaps this is what Jesus means when he says, come to me like children. We're not there yet. We're still growing. We're still maturing. We're, we still have messes in our life. We still have, maybe you don't, I still have sometimes a selfish, maybe immature attitude. And God's, God's not afraid of that. I remember talking to my, uh, taking our oldest son, Micah, to the park when he was like four or five years old. And he would just walk up to total strangers and say, hey, I'm Micah, wanna play? <laughs> I'm Micah, wanna be friends? And I, I always wondered, like, at what age do we stop doing that? Like, what happens in our lives that we eventually stop being generous with bringing other people into our lives and we start to go, oh, yeah, you're wearing that, which means you probably are into this, and I'm not into that, so I, you're, we're not friends, right? We, we start to formulate judgments. He didn't have any of that. He just came and assumed that you wanted to be his friend. Come to Jesus like that. Come to Jesus like that. Kids are messy. Kids are disgusting. We all know that. God knows that. He knows that you're messy. You're not disgusting, though. He knows that you have a mess, and he's not worried about it. He's not afraid of it, I should say. Okay, so let me just tie these two illustrations and, and observations, ho hopefully, together, okay? Um, with a couple of things I've noticed as a cross-country parent, uh, they're not just true of me. They're actually true of they're not my personal stories. They're just true of all the cross-country parents. Um, if you have kids in sports or you have had kids in sports, um, you probably know it can sometimes bring out the worst in parents. Am I right? Yeah, some pretty, 
pretty crazy stuff. Like, Dad, back down, okay? The Olympic trials are not this week. We got a few years, okay? So, uh, but there's some really great stuff that happens, too. Uh, some pretty cool stuff. So, uh, Brandy and I, a couple weeks ago, at a cross-country event, we, uh, we volunteered as course marshals. And so, our job was, we were at the finish line, and what happens at the finish line cross-country is that the gate narrows down so they have to go through it single file. After they cross the finish line, they have to go out single file so that they'll stay in the order that they finished. And on their number, uh, if you've ever done a, you know, like a fun run or something with a number, you may have noticed you, you can tear off the bottom of the number. It has a little metal strip on it. And so uh, we were there just to help them tear that off and hand it to the official at the end where they, when they go out. And the reason that they need someone to help them, I mean, it's not hard to just grab it and pull it off, but the reason that they need help is because those kids, they pour everything out on the course. And even just grabbing that little tab and pulling it off is, is pretty tough for them in the state that they're in. At the finish line, I mean, there's sweat, tears, slobber, snot, projectile. I mean, it's, it's all going down there. It is both disgusting and pretty inspiring at the same time. It's pretty amazing. In fact, one girl, uh, she came up and she stopped in front of me so that I could help her get her number off. And right as I reached out to it, she just doubled over and just, just launched it. It was pretty disturbing, but amazing. Uh, and I mean, I was just like, oh my gosh, how awesome it is. It, is it that she just poured that much effort into that, right? So um, when a parent's kid comes across the line, okay, when you're kid comes across the line, when my kid comes across the line, there's sweat and tears and snot, and I don't think we've had any projectiles yet, but you got to step it up. Um, when, when, when a kid comes across, like, okay, you know, just back away, but if it's your kid, you don't care. You're not worried about it. I just, I just want to be there when they come across the line. You know, if they've, like, poured it all out and they're, they're just going to fall down onto the ground in exhaustion, I want to be there, don't you? That's how God feels about you. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? God knows that there's going to be, you know, mess coming with you. Like, I, just like I know there's going to be mess coming across the finish line with my kid, he knows there's mess coming with you. And he says, bring it on. Come to me. Don't, don't stay away. God's arms are wide open to you no matter what mess is coming with you because he has a generous spirit. If you're coming up all soaking, you know, soaked with sweat and looking like you might hurl, I'm going to back away. But, but God's not going to. If you're coming to him like his child, he's not afraid of your mess. That's the first observation. God's arms are wide open no matter what mess is coming with you. The second one is that, um, you know, all the, the time that Ezra's been doing this, my kid, uh, sometimes he wins and sometimes he doesn't. And you know what? There is no parent, I am yet to see the parent, who loves their kid less when they don't win. So if you're feeling that way in your attitude toward God, stop. You're wrong. He doesn't love you less when you don't win. Because God's love for you doesn't depend on your performance. It depends on Jesus, who paid the bill in full, once for all. So, so just hear me say that all you have to do to be fully loved by God is be. That's all you have to do to be loved by him. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus was already perfect for you. Now, there's a few different categories of people probably listening right now. Maybe you're, you're here in the room. 
Uh, maybe you're, you're watching online. Maybe you're uh, on the internet 10 years from now and you just came across this particular sermon. There's, there's a few different groups of people who might be watching right now. And, uh, I just want to invite the band. If you guys would come up, we're going we're gonna to wrap up our time together. The first group of people might be the people who would say, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm not sure how I feel about this. I don't really know what to make of Jesus. Um, I'm just, I just happen to be here for whatever reason. And you might be wondering, okay, well, what about this generous love and acceptance of God? The point that I would want you to take away from it is that God is for you. He's for you, and he's for you. God is for you. He's for you. None of us is perfect. All of us has been separated from a perfect God by our own pride and brokenness. The Bible calls it sin. That's true for all of us. But what you need to know today is that God sent his son into the world to die on the cross to pay the bill for that sin, to pay the penalty for that sin so that you can just freely turn to him and know that he will accept you, that he will be generous with you when you come to him. The phrase that I like to say is that Jesus is a qualifier, not a disqualifier. Jesus came to qualify you, and you can know that God will be generous with his grace and mercy. A second type of person, maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but maybe there's this perpetual feeling that God's not very happy with me. God's not very pleased with the way that I'm doing this, this, this sense that... Um, Somehow, I'm just like in trouble with God. When he looks at me, I don't know if he likes what he sees. But can I just tell you the same thing? That Jesus paid the bill in full. Jesus has already overcome for you. So you can come to God with sincerity, no pretense. You don't have to make the show. Just, just come to him honestly as you are. And his grace will always be sufficient for you. You will always find grace in abundance. And the third group of people, maybe, maybe this is most of us, the biggest group of people, you might be thinking something like, okay, well, I'm already a Christian, so I'm not sure that this is really like relevant to me. Like, I've already received God's acceptance, so you know, what, is this, what does this have to do with me? I'm already in. And the answer to that is sometimes we forget what it's like to be on the outside. Sometimes we forget to come to Jesus like a child. Sometimes we forget what a generous spirit God has with us, and that causes us to forget to have a generous spirit toward others. And I pray that in gratitude and in joy, you would come to God like a child again, not like a veteran Christian, that you would come to him like a child again like a child who's eager to be part of what their father is doing, eager to show that same irrational generosity to others. So what I'd like to do is, if you would stand with me, I just want to pray very quickly for each of those three groups, someone who's not a Christian, maybe someone who, who is, but, but you're just not sure that God accepts you. And then the third group, people who just need to be reminded to come to him like a child and, and to gain that generous spirit. I just want to pray for each of those three. You can decide where you're at. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now boldly and confidently because your son, Jesus, opened the door for us to do that. 
God, thank you that you have paid our bill, you have paved a way, that you're generous in spirit toward us. So, Lord, we just acknowledge that we have, in fact, come up short of your glory. And perhaps for some of us, we just need to receive God's grace right now. And I'm just standing here to tell you it's a real thing. If you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible talks about repentance. It just means to turn and go the other way, turn from our way, go God's way. I pray that you would do that in your heart right now. Lord, for the person who is just struggling to feel like they're really accepted by you, there might be a lot of baggage behind that and why they feel that way, but God, I pray you'd break through it by your spirit. God, I pray that they would be wrapped up in your love. And for those of us who we've, we've been Christians a long time, we've been to church a lot, we've heard the prayers, we've heard the sermons, um, God, I pray that you would remind us we are your children, that each one of us would just embrace the knowledge that we are your child, that we could wake up every day and just celebrate the fact that we are accepted by you, and no matter what has gone wrong in our lives, you are still fully confident in your ability to accomplish your will, and so we lean on you. In Jesus' name. I just want to share this one verse with you before I go. It's found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what you are, a child of God. So I pray that you would just delight in the knowledge that God looks at you and he sees his kid. I bought this whistle to distinguish from the cowbells so that when my kid hears it, he would know, that's my dad. I pray you just hear this verse right now and you would know, that's my dad. God bless you guys. I pray you just take a quick moment and just reflect on that as we worship.